Welcome to Green Minds Think Alike. Uh, today, joining me in the city of Winter Park here at the Florida Sustainability Directors Annual Conference is Alyssa Farina from the city of Miami. Alyssa, thanks for coming. Thank you very much for having me. So, yeah, we uh, were fortunate to have our directors uh, conference here in the city of Winter Park. We have roughly 35 municipalities here, about 50 people here. And um, Alyssa, maybe you could just kind of talk a little bit about how um, you're involved in FSDN and, and what do you find are benefits from the network? Uh, yeah, of course. So uh, I recently joined the email listserv because I was having a hard time on that. Um, and that's been super helpful because uh, something that is, I think, uh, great about Florida is that it is very unified in some aspects in regards to our utility issues and some of the, you know, it is a problem, but also helpful for us to collaborate on all the things that we are um, not allowed to do from the state level and things like that. So a lot of our challenges and opportunities are shared. So that's very useful. And that's, you know, not something that you can always share with the other cities that are in the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network group. So that's something that I've found really useful. Um, and just from this meeting today, it's great that it's a tight cohort that feels very comfortable speaking with one another, um, that we can be frank, and that mm -hmm. it's very practitioner focused. So that way, it's you know the people who are in similar positions working through the same challenges. So we're approaching these issues from a very similar perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would agree with that. Um, so one of the things I'd like to ask is, can you talk about where your position is within the hierarchy of the city? You know, are you under a city manager or what department where you might be and that type of thing? Yeah, so um, I am in the Office of Resilience and Sustainability. Um, our department was funded, and my boss, Jane Gilbert, who's the Chief Resilience Officer, her position was funded for two years through the 100 Resilient Cities Network. So that was uh, that's what got this department up and moving. Before that, it was the Office of Sustainable Initiatives, which Glenn Hadwin from Fort Lauderdale used to work for, and a Johnny Stewart. Um, so we had that transition and opening up our purview to more resilience um, issues as opposed to just sustainability. Um, so I am a project uh, programs manager in that department. There are four full-time staff members right now. Um, so we have our chief resilience officer, two program managers, and then an admin. <clears throat> she reports directly to our assistant city manager who reports to the city manager who manages the city under our um, commission, which is five commissioners and a mayor. So he, not a strong mayor situation. Um, city manager and mayor work together. Mm -hmm. um, and then our commissioners are district geographically um, set up. So all, all the things that we're doing, we have to always be working with all of the commissioners. If there's any legislation we want passed, we need three of five votes to get it passed. So. Um, we definitely need to be speaking to all these different interests as we're getting our work up and going and uh, getting their support. So you mentioned how resiliency has sort of become maybe now more the key word in, in Miami. And yesterday you were, sort of, you were talking about the resilience hubs that you're starting or planning to get started in your community parks. Can you talk a little bit both about the resilience hubs as well as, you know, I'm assuming you've got a resilience plan that's your adaptation plan or something along those lines that you guys are working on. Yeah, so we have our first and biggest plan that we came out with was the Resilient 305 plan that was with Miami-Dade County and City of Miami Beach. The three of us had a partnership through the 100 Resilient Cities um, initiative. So we worked on this 
urban resilience strategy together. So it's not just environmental issues, it's um, public health and um, economic prosperity initiatives, leadership challenges, all of these different things that we organize into people, places, and pathways that we're going to work together as a collective, not just the three of us, but also bringing in the other municipalities in Miami-Dade County to work towards. So like a big initiative that we just um, did in February was a mayor's boot camp where we invited high-level staff from all 35 34 municipalities in the county to join us for this boot camp where we talked about what our resilience core values again that being broad urban resilience not just you know this climate resilience um and then what are like tools that we've developed or what are initiatives that they can champion in their own cities and giving them those tools so that they they can move forward on their own so that's one piece of like regional collaboration that we're um a part of um, the other thing that we just launched in the end of January was our climate adaptation focus strategy called Miami Forever Climate Ready, um, and that outlines a number of actions that we will be doing um, in the next 10 years to um, mostly adapt to our climate challenges being extreme heat, um, stronger storms, and floods, rising seas. So, uh, and that was a long stakeholder engagement process. We developed it over the course of a year, had an internal working group, um, and a lot of our actions were championed by the departments that would be leading them. So it's not us just saying, hey, you should all be doing this. They, you know, saw the opportunities themselves uh-huh. and kind of said, like, we're committing to doing this. So that was already buy-in along the way. And then we also did community workshops where we went into eight different neighborhoods in the city in person and had two-hour workshops where we said, gave them like a Climate 101 and then showed maps and said, this is how this community is specifically vulnerable to climate change. Because something that we recognized was that a lot of people were thinking that climate change is just a sea level rise thing in Uh Florida. And for some of our inner inner cities that are more low income, high minority, they're like, climate change is not my problem. And I was like, yes, but when you get hit by a hurricane, that isn't a challenge for you. And that is a climate change issue. So just kind of connecting those things and then asking them what their priorities were. So as we were developing these plans, we could, you know, rank things certain priorities or add things or remove things that didn't align with the way that the residents felt that we needed to be adapting to climate change. So those are two major guiding things as we're moving forward. Our department's only in its third year, so we're really trying to lay strong groundwork now so that way we can just implement (laughs) over the next couple years. So we're... In, in regards to these plans, where's the funding? Have you guys identified that as a part of grants? You know, how we are looking at these things, or is it just part of a budgeting process that the city goes through? So definitely partially budget, um, and then, you know, grant funds for certain individual projects. Um, but a great tool that the city of Miami has is that we just passed this uh, general obligation bond, the Miami Forever bond, um, in 2017. So that kind of came on the heels of Hurricane Irma. It was already in the pipeline and then Irma came and then we had a really strong King Tide season in South Florida. And one of the pillars of this bond was $192 million for resilience and flood projects. So people were kind of on the fence about it. And then, you know, the silver lining of the hurricane and the King Tides was that it really made the case for why this is important. 
So it didn't pass by astounding numbers or anything like that, but we do now have this funding and it is um, a tool that we have. It's definitely not enough, like $192 million for a 52, 55 square mile city that has, you know, um, I forget how long our coastline is, like 88 miles of coastline and things like that. That's not going to pay for all of that, but we can leverage it for other funding sources. So like when we do FEMA grants, we can say we can cost share and things like that. So that's the way that we're looking at it is as a, as funding that we can use to leverage more funding and see how big can we expand this. Um, and then that also has some other funding categories that have resilience alignments, like under our, um, parks and cultural facilities that could potentially be used to fund some of the resilience hubs work. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's still to be determined, but that's something that we're advocating for. So beyond um, maybe just to dig a little bit further into the resilience hubs, you know, Baja led us through a a workshop yesterday. Can you sort of talk about some of the programmatic elements that the the resilience hubs would have, you know, for the everyday, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and what sort of services they envision at at these uh, community centers? Yeah, so um, we're planning to have them at parks. And so our parks already do offer a lot of really great services for our residents. So we're looking to, one, um, you know, continue those programs, expand them. We're also looking to partner with other community organizations that may be able to supplement certain things. Like we do free tax prep and we do English English as a second language classes, um, computer literacy in certain places. But maybe there's, a, you know, um, an organization that's interested in some sort of like a health program and they want to teach people how to read nutrition labels and shop correctly or some sort of a financial literacy. That's a big thing that we're trying to um, push forward in the city. We have nonprofit partners that run a lot of financial literacy programs that they can you know, complement with our free tax programs. So just figuring out what community um, programming exists already that we can just tie in um, is something that we're looking into. And so as we move that program, the Resilience Hubs initiative forward, there would be a big community engagement process where we would ask people what kind of amenities would be helpful to you. Um, you know, what nonprofits do you, services do you utilize already? And then how can we build those connections? Are there other projects outside the resilience, resilience hubs that you're, you're kind of focused in, or maybe that you have an interest in to, to expound upon a little bit? Um, well, one major thing that I'm working on this upcoming year is a greenhouse gas inventory and then, um, moving into more sustainability initiatives. So, our city has not done any any kind of sustainability plan or greenhouse gas inventory since 2008. And that was a function of economic downturn, downsizing of the department, and then you know we were the Office of Sustainable Initiatives was two people for a while, mm-hmm. and they were managing um, CB, CBDG grants to do all the energy efficiency stuff. Um, so we're finishing up our greenhouse gas inventory now, and then we will be using that to create a future climate carbon mitigation plan um, and tying in sustainability elements. And so one of those major initiatives is working with City Energy Project to do a benchmarking program. So I'm hoping to talk to Orlando a bit about right, their right. Uh, you know, successes and pitfalls, because I know it didn't go exactly as they wanted, but they you know, do have the legislation in place. So also seeing who else in FSDM we can talk to about their experience, because we've been working with the county as well on that program. And whatever else uh, we can do to uh, you know, start working towards that goal so we can do adaptation and mitigation. Oh, that's great. I mean, uh, like you said, again, how the network can help 
you know, accelerate your plans. You know, again, that's it's such a benefit. Um, maybe kind of stepping back, but looking at your career a little bit, can you think about things that you sort of went in with preconceived notions about, or things that you thought were true, but as you got into working with the city, sort of changed your mind or your outlook on on your work? Um, yeah. Well, my first preconceived notion was that I would never want a government job. <laughs> I uh, started in environmental education at a nonprofit. I feel like a lot of us start in environmental education. Yeah. Um, but just had that notion that like a government job is slow and boring and you sit in a cubicle and you talk to no one and like nothing could be worse because... Um, I'm an extroverted person. I'm used to, you know, doing public speaking. And I was like, sitting at a desk and doing all that sounds terrible. Um, and that has not been the case at all. Like, I realize more and more how important all this community engagement and education is um, in doing all this climate work because you really need to bring people along. And a lot of it is like, we got to sell people on some of these things yeah. and figure out how to talk about it from all these different angles. So that's something that I find really interesting um, about the work and just doing all that public education, how beneficial it is um, to the community, economically, socially, all of that. That's great. One thing I'd like to finish up on is if you have advice for people that are looking to get into this career or or younger people, what what sort of advice would you give them, um, you know, with giving your experience? Um, I feel like people feel, I mean, maybe this is a, a Florida thing or a Miami thing, I was very worried, like, I don't have a master's degree, I just have a bachelor's in environmental science, um, you know, and I was worried that that was going to limit me in some way, um, and I, 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 it hasn't, and I think that if you have passion for the issue, you have the fundamental understanding of, you know, climate issues, and you are, you know, willing to do the work to research and talk to people about, you know, different ways to move forward on environmental issues, that'll serve you pretty well. And I think, um, you know, having these network opportunities where you can learn from one another is really like the the continuing education that I have um, as I go through this job. And of course, I want to learn more and maybe, you know, go back to school and all of that. But, um, I just think that people shouldn't feel limited by, you know, where they are in their education process, that, you know, that their passion can shine through, and that environmental issues are very um, interconnected. So maybe you don't have that environmental science degree, but maybe you have a public health or, you know, a communications degree. Like, that can, they're all needed and very interconnected in this space. So there is space for you in the environmental field. (laughs) Well, great. Thanks for that. And thanks for taking the time. And Thank thanks you, for Chris. coming up here and, and joining us uh, these couple of days. So keep up the great work in Miami. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Winter Park is beautiful. Thanks. Awesome.